Hey, just real quick, if you're in Australia and still have old analog clocks, it's time to upgrade so that your swimmers can see the clock. The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is now available in Oz. They're distributed by Tim Lane in Brisbane, and I've got a special deal for you. Just email him at tim at swimnerd.com, tell him Brett Hawk sent you, and get yours today for just $7.99 Aussie dollars. So email tim at swimnerd.com and order your Swim Nerd Pace Clocks today. All right, Josh Preneau, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate yeah. it. No, thanks for taking the time. I know you just come from practice. What's that looking like for you these days? Um, yeah, a bit different, a bit of a weird time for everyone. Uh, obviously, we are almost back in our facility as a cow. We've, we've taken all the public health steps. Uh, the City of Berkeley Public Health Department is super strict, which, you know, can't blame them. Um, so we, we are almost good to go to get back in there. But right now we're kind of scattered around. Um, we've broken our team up into smaller training groups. Um, and we're in some different pools that, that are open for lap swim around the East Bay. So uh, Coach Durden, Dave, is just, he's just working overtime, doing different he's, groups? He's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to remain that way for a while, it looks like. Really? Yeah, wow. How many workouts a week are you getting in? And, and how long are they? Um, only six. That's, that's all we can get space for right now. So six, two hour sessions per week, and then just all the dry land and cross training that, that you can do at home. Um, if you calculate it out, the, uh, the actual like water time has not decreased that much, especially if you were in sprint group, if you were in like the, the, um, like extra time distance, like 1650 group, then you're missing a little bit more. Um, I think for, for some of the sprinters, it actually may be a little bit more time in the water. And for the mid D guys, it's like maybe, I don't know, two to four hours less than normal. Um, so, you know, all things considered, that's not bad. There, there's still a lot of improvements you can make with that. Do you think you can make water time up anywhere else other than the water? It's pretty hard, man. I mean, there's, it's, it's really limited, like swimming, especially for me is a very feel based sport. So if you're not really in there, um, I mean, even, even ocean swimming, like ocean, ocean freestyle is way different than smooth pool freestyle. Like you're just thrashing your shoulders about trying to chop through the waves. So it's very, very hard to, to, to mimic that, that environment, right? There's, there's obviously exercises that you can do like, you know, pull-ups for lats, you got uh, like single leg jumps for breaststroke and stuff, but I, there, there's really no substitute. I mean, I'd, I'd suck at swimming if I couldn't ever train in the pool, you know? <laughs> Do you feel like you're um, still being able to make gains though in, in this time, even though you're doing, let's say, you know, four hours less than you normally would be doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're making the most of it. And, you know, I'm not, everyone, including myself, is, is complaining right now about, oh, we don't have weight room access, like we can't get as much pool time. Uh, trainings reduced. But um, the the one positive thing I will say is that all this stuff got canceled way back in March, right? So that gives us a 15 month season basically until trials. That's sort of a unique opportunity. I mean, we've never really had that in swimming. Like you're always tapering or like resting if you're going to say that you're not tapering for something in December and then the summer, right? Or maybe March in the summer if you're going on an NC2A schedule. So that means your season at longest, you're never going more than like eight months between the taper. But now we're going 15. Like we're just going to press on through. 
Um, so I think there, there's a good opportunity there uh, to handle the season in a different way. You can have a huge long volume phase before you start to taper off and hit quality. Um, and then you can hit quality for a very long time before like getting ready for that championship meet and trials. So I do think that's a positive opportunity that's going to come out of this, that longer season. Are you guys swimming? Uh, what is, what is a, a workout consist of right now uh, in, in terms are you just doing quality work or are you getting some volume in? Uh, a good mix of both with um, like at the pool that we started out training at, like back coming off the, the first original COVID break where everything was shut down. Um, we literally just took like six weeks and we just worked on underwaters. Like that was kind of the pool situation that we were in. It's really hard to do anything else. So we did underwaters with fins, with shoots, with socks, just straight up 25s, just working on max speed uh, with a stretch cord. So we took a lot of time just to work on that one skill. Um, coming off that, we've built up, um, you know, it, it just feels like the beginning of the season, right? You're, you're starting with the more general work. Everyone's doing a lot of IM, regardless if you're a sprinter, a distance swimmer, a single stroke specialist. Um, and then now as we've, as we've built through that, we're getting into um, some, more, some more specialized work. Um, still, still keeping with the general work also though. So it's, it's a good mix of both right now, I'd say. I don't think we're, we're in like a, a summer quality phase by any means that we would like typically be in, in a normal year. I think we're, we're handling this as the beginning, still the beginning part of that long 15 month season. How old are you now? 27? 27. 27. Okay. So has, has your training shifted or evolved um, from the time you were kind of a freshman in college to where you are now? Like does Dave write workouts just for Josh Perneau in terms of this is just for you, or are you still doing some generalized stuff with the group? Oh, no, I do a ton of generalized stuff with the group. Um, yeah, we, as the pro group at Cal, we are with the college guys a majority of the time, mm -hmm. um, which I, I think is a great environment. You know, like we, we want them to succeed. They want us to succeed. We're helping each other and pushing each other. The only real difference is, is in March when, when they're going to rest and we're not. Um, there, of course, there are going to be like some, some pro group special days, um, you know, when the guys are traveling for a dual meet. But especially now, like, who knows what the NC2A season is going to look like. Like, everyone's focus is, is on summer 2021. So it's, it's just all the guys pushing towards that. Um, as far as changing, um, like, general training plan, I've, I've found that the, the years when I do great are, are the years where we don't change that plan and the years where I don't do as well. Are, are the years where we do kind of deviate from that plan. So even though I don't really do the 400 IM a ton anymore, except for, for ISL when necessary, um, I, still, I still do that aerobic IM-based training. I think just getting into that, that mode of swimming, right, where, where you're sustaining that pretty fast speed for a long time is just really, really beneficial to how I race a 200 breaststroke. So I'm not, I'm not just doing quality breaststroke every day. I think I do need to stay... Um, kind of diversified as an athlete to to make those improvements. Have you always been the type of guy that can take a lot of work in in practice? Typically, yeah, that's that's kind of been my career. I'm obviously not the biggest or strongest dude out there, so I I gotta have some strength, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it. When did it really start to shift for you in terms of being a world class breaststroker? I mean, your your IM has always been there, but at some point you must have said, all right, we're going to really hone in on, on breaststroke here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's honestly always ebbed and flowed 
for me throughout my career is as recently as like, I mean, the last four years, my world ranks have been like one or two down into the teens, one or two down into the teens. Um, and you know, even when I was like 10 or 11, it was the same way. I'd, I'd just figure it out for a year and it'd be super easy. And then I'd kind of plateau off and have a big improvement. Um, so yeah, I would say where did it really start to, to come into play? Probably like, um, 20, 2014 summer, 2015 summer, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, there was just an opportunity, I think, after, after 2012 for the U.S. 200 breaststroke. Everyone was looking that, at, at that, those two spots on the Olympic team, like, all right, we got to go take this. And, and you saw a huge improvement in depth uh, from 2012 to 2016 at U.S. Olympic trials. I mean, it was just nuts. And then, I mean, next year is going to be even more insane. We are absolutely loaded with 200 breaststrokers right now. Yeah, it's kind of always been like that for breaststroke for me. You know, it's one of those events and strokes where it's like you don't really know. Like someone like Scott Welts can can kind of just come from yeah. nowhere. You know, yeah, it's like, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, I, you know, it's, I didn't, you know, I, I kind of expected that. You know, it's like you just uh, expected in breaststroke for some reason. So do you feel that pressure of like, wow, there's a lot of guys around me and anybody, not anybody could win it because you know how good you are, but it's like, there's any number of guys that can step up on the day and swim real fast, right? Totally. Yeah. No, it's, it's scary to go into trials like that. There are a ton of guys that can, that can place top two in that event. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's all pushing us to the top though. I mean, that's, that's why the U S can consistently do so well at international competitions. I mean, you have to just run that gauntlet to even make it onto the team. So, you know, it's uh, it's an environment that I need to push myself to thrive in. Man, I'm always interested in people's stories. Everyone has a story of how they made it uh, to the to the Olympic team, and and you have one. And so, talk us through your lead up to 16, and and then even um, your trials experience. What was that like? Yeah, sure. So, lead up to 2016, um, the yeah, we can start pretty far back. The first time I ever like really thought that I had a chance to to make the Olympic team was mm. Charlotte Grand Prix 2015. Um, I dropped like one or two seconds in the 200 breast at that meet. It was just a mid-season meet. Like I was coming off finals week at Berkeley. Uh, did not expect a great time, but I've been working with Russell Mark at USA Swimming on some technique stuff. Uh, tried to implement that in my race and had a huge breakthrough swim there. Um, that was really the first moment where I was like, okay, holy crap, I can actually do this. Um, the, next, the next year and a half lead up to, to 2016, I swam so many 200 breaststrokes whether this was in practice from a push from a dive and a meet prelim final. I just did that race so many times and worked through different race strategies. So I was confident swimming in different ways. Um, obviously kind of honed in and picked one that works for me as we got close to the trials. Um, but I was just very, very confident in my ability to swim four laps of breaststroke just because I had done it so many times. And at that stage, who were the main players for, for the team? Um, I mean, it was still pretty stacked, man. You had uh, Wilson, Lacone, Fink, Cortez, uh, Cody Miller. Like, um, there's, there's, there's a ton of names that have a, that have a chance to make it, right? Mm. Uh, Cortez was obviously the favorite. He was seated first after, after prelims and semis, if I'm not wrong. Um, and yeah, he was, he was looking pretty unstoppable at that meet. His, his 100 was, was very fast, American record. Um, he was 207 in semis. I had never gone 207 before. So, so yeah, I mean, that's the most nervous I've ever been in my life is before that, that final. So talk to me about that. Talk, talk to us about the nerves. How did you, 
uh, you know, when did you start experiencing them? What, what kind of, how did they manifest in your body? And then how did you manage them to, to be able to get the performance you needed? Yeah, honestly, being a part of the Cal team at trials, um, it was, was reassuring because the 200 rest is in the middle of that meet. And by that point, like we were already just going off at that meet. I mean, everyone was helping each other to, to get in that mindset to succeed. Um, I was, I was rooming with Murphy at that meet and he had already made the team. So that was, that was just good vibes, you know? Um, but yeah, it's still, it's still such high stakes, right? Like you win or get second, you're on the team. You don't, you've got a four year wait. Yeah. Five years at this point, man. Oh, geez. Um, so yeah, man, that's a, that's a very tense ready room to be in. But again, I think I was able to, to handle that. I, I definitely couldn't eliminate those nerves, but handle them. What did but, you do in the ready room to handle them specifically? Sat there and try not to freak out. I didn't even have headphones at that meet. Okay. I, I was just thinking about what I had to do, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was, I was so just keyed in on the process of swimming into a breast that, okay. that I was able to focus enough on that to, to kind of silence the nerves. And, and yeah, I mean, that's just confidence in the, in the work that you put in. There's, there's no like mental secret or trick there. I mean, you can't not be nervous at trials unless you're an absolute freak. I mean, it's, it's a very, very hard meet. It's stressful. So yeah, I mean, I was, I was fortunate to, to have really, really smart people have worked with me on the mental side of things and really amazing coaches and teammates to, to get me prepared to have that confidence level leading up to that final. Now, did you know where you were during the race at all in that, in that particular race? Uh, I could just see Kevin. Kevin was so far out in front of me. So I was just like, eyes on his hips the whole time. Did you, did you feel like, okay, last 50, I'm going to reel him in. I'm going to pull him in. Um, honestly, at, at 125, I, I was like, man, I've not expended any energy yet. I think I can win this. Like, I was not leading the race at that time. I think I was in third or fourth. Mm. Um, but I was like, man, this is feeling smooth. This is feeling awesome. I'm just about to sprint to 75 right here. Mm. Um, and that, that ended up being a great strategy for me. And also the one that, that allowed me to, uh, to turn it on in the Olympic games and get on the podium. I think I turned it on a little too early in that one. Um, I think I was like 32 two on the third 50. I was a bit aggressive, but, um, yeah, that was the, the strategy that I went with the trials. Did you swim faster at the Olympics than you did at trials? I did not. I was slower. It was 0.4 slower. 0.4 slower, but you still ended up with a silver medal. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Who ended up winning the race at the Olympics? Vijay Balandin, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, eh? Yeah. Wow. Was he, He's was, pretty consistent over the last couple of years. He's been has, in time. Has he? Okay. Well, good, man. Well, listen, I uh, talked to you earlier. I texted you. I said, I know nothing about breaststroke in terms of the, the high level performance of breaststroke and how to swim it technically. So I really want a lesson from you. I want you to teach me some breaststroke right now. Talk to, me, talk to me about the catch, first of all, then we'll move on to the kick. And then any other things that you think about that you think are relevant to breaststroke. So, so talk me through this. For sure. All right. Before we actually even do the catch, the most important thing, uh, and again, Russell Mark talks about this all the time, I, I think is timing with breaststroke. Um, breaststroke is the most, it presents the most resistance to the water, right? Because you got to drop your knees down mm -hmm. to bring your feet up to kick. Um, so you got to spend the most time you can out of that resistive position. So the general concept here is pull with your legs in a streamline, kick with your arms and torso in a streamline. So the better you can do that, the more like perfectly streamlined your whole torso can be while your legs are in that loaded position, uh, the more effective your kick is going to be. Breaststroke's like all about just getting out of your own way. 
Um, so the best breaststrokers, Shubkoff and Petey right now, do this phenomenally well. Um, so yeah, we can go to the catch. The catch is pretty simple. It's honestly kind of like butterfly, except you got to stop halfway. So same concept, fingertips down, elbows up, and you're just pulling it straight back like a, like a butterfly pull. I mean, you can screenshot. Oh, really? Yeah, you can screenshot the best breaststrokers in the world at the, the top of their catch, and it, honest, it looks like they're about to do butterfly. It's why do, why, why, do, why do some people talk about sweep and, and curling in and around? Yeah, so I think, um, I think that that is the motion that ends up happening. The shape is sort of a circle. Mm -hmm. um, the, the sweep that I would talk about is, so you want to be real wide and powerful on your pull. Some people are a bit more narrow, but still like the elbows are going to be wider than the shoulders necessarily coming back. Mm -hmm. So the sweep that's going to happen is you got to transition from that catch phase into the recovery phase super quick because you can't recover like this or you're just pushing a ton of water out of the way and that's not good. So the sweep that I would talk about is going from elbows wide, powerful to get out of the way, just slide the hands forward with no resistance. Um, and then what, are you, what are you doing with your head at that point in time? Well, as, as you're catching water, what, what are you doing with your, where are your eyes? Where's your chin? That sort of thing. Uh, as you're catching, I'd say it's similar to, to flyer freestyle where you just want to be looking like slightly forward down the pool, not up and like breaking the spine, mm -hmm. um, but just a little forward for power. Okay. Nice. Uh, all right. We'll continue. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so my goal, like how I would think about the stroke is I want to like slide my forearms as far forward as possible before I start going into that catch. All right. So catch as far forward as possible. Once you get that catch, then the goal is to move your hips as far forward as possible while, while you're catching. Right. So that's why you see some breaststrokers like really arch up, and it almost looks like they're throwing their head back. That's because they're trying to pull their hips forward as far as possible before they set up that kick, right? So I'm a, I'm a very kick-driven breaststroker. So each time I set my, my ankles and my feet in the water, I want them to be set as far forward down the pool each time as possible. So I'm trying to maximize that pull by pulling the hips forward with the legs straight. Then once I'm, I'm up here for the breath, then I'm bringing the feet up dropping the knees down for the kick and then trying to get myself streamlined back again before I start that kick back. As you're pulling your feet up, are your feet uh, in line or are they out turned out ready to, ready to catch and kick or uh, do you turn them out once, once they're up in that ready position? Yeah, I turn them out once they're up. Um, a lot of breaststrokers will actually try to turn their feet in. So like toes touching each other mm -hmm. on the way up and then get them out real quick. Mm -hmm. um, I do that like a little bit. I honestly think you can watch videos of like Amanda Beard from way back who, who may or may not have originated that technique. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now are you pulling your uh, ankles all the way up to your butt or I know that Petey's doing something a little different where it's not as not pulling up as high, right? What's going on with breaststroke these days? Um, yeah. So, I mean, there, there are two schools of thought, right? So with Petey, he's just going to swim at max tempo possible. He, he generates a lot of momentum from, from his head drive forward, um, as well as from, from his arm recovery forward. That's a very important thing in breaststroke, um, is, is creating energy with that recovery. So with him, he's not going to be able to sustain his tempo if he gets like max range of motion on the breaststroke kick, right? Mm. Um, but then you have a guy like Chupkov who's going to swim at like 2.2 tempo, 
for the first hundred meters of a race. So he needs that max range of motion, right? Because he wants to get all the distance he can out of every single kick. But if you're if you're sprinting a hundred, then you know it depends on how strong you are, how necessary that is to shorten the range of motion. Um, PD PD can get an incredible catch on the inside of his feet with that shortened range of motion, but that's very rare. So I would um, you know. Unless you're, unless you're as good as PD, I, I would not recommend doing that if they're, if they're like breaststroker kids listening to this podcast. But um, if, if you're sprinting just for pure speed, then that may be something to go to. Sergio Lopez used to say something that interests me. He say, when you finish your kick, curl your toes to, to bring your feet up. Some people almost do almost like a, like a dolphin kick at the back there and then sweep out. Like what, what are you thinking of as you're bringing your feet together and getting your feet out of the way? Um, yeah, that's a common thing to do. So, so when you do dolphin kick, right, you're trying to hold water on, um, the top of your feet, right. As you mm -hmm. push down and then you're trying to hold water on the bottom of your feet as you push up. It's similar like that for breaststroke, just because of like the angle of your knees and hips, the breaststroke kick actually goes down a little bit, right? It's not perfectly back or else okay. your feet should be on the surface. So it does go down and then you can hold a little bit of water on your feet. Mm. as you bring the legs up if you then snap the knees down uh that's cheating you can't do that yeah so as you as you sweep up you can hold water then as long as you leave your legs in place after that so um the i guess the the more like technique -y way to do this is not actually by trying really hard with your hamstrings to push your legs up it's just like tilting with your chest just like the the flow butterfly drill that some people do I got a lot of questions, but before I forget, I'm just going to throw them out as they come into my head, but there's so many breaststroke techniques and, and, uh, you know, I, we would get that similar with freestyle. Sometimes someone come along and be doing, you know, someone to do a straight arm all of a sudden. And now, now everybody's like, we got to swim straight arm to swim faster right. with all the different breaststroke techniques. Do you see something sometimes and start to question, am I doing the right thing? Should I be trying that? You know, or are you pretty fixed on your technique and you want to just stay on what you're doing? No, totally. I mean, I, I don't want to be that cocky of an athlete where I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this perfectly. I don't need to change. So, so yeah, obviously like as people are, are getting faster. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm watching, I'm noticing what they're doing differently. And breaststroke, I think I don't want to overstep here, but I think it's the most individualized stroke. I mean, there are so many oh, different yeah. ways to swim breaststroke fast. I mean, you look at, yeah, you look at Chupkoff, you look at Petey, you look at, uh, Arno Kaminga, uh, Zach Sabletti, Matt Wilson, um, Ilya, there, there's so many different and like weird ways to do this stroke fast. That's why it's, um, it's honestly like pretty hard to like even teach kids at clinics. There, there's certain commonalities that everyone's got to do to be fast, like that fast arm recovery, um, the good timing I talked about where you're, you're pulling with your leg streamlined, kicking with your upper body streamlined. But, but aside from that, there's really a lot of ways to do it. Narrow pull, wide pull, uh, fast kick, huge range of motion kick. So it's, it's really, um, it's, it's just a constant puzzle to figure out and try new things. Are we trying to avoid uh, spreading our knees out really wide? I, I know, um, you know, the, the train of thought used to be keep your knees close together. Uh, are we still doing that? It, it depends, man. Again, on how, how long and how fast you're going to swim for. PD's knees are pretty close together. Um, I think... I remember Michael Andrews kick being pretty wide and his kicks were really good. So again, it just depends on, it's, it's a trade off between power 
and then pushing through more resistance. So if the max, if the, if the benefit and power you get from spreading your knees a bit wider and getting your feet up like closer to your butt is, is, if that, is that going to outweigh the resistance that you're going to get from spreading your knees just a little farther apart? You, you're going to have to play around with it, time some 25s kick and, and figure that out. How do you correct somebody that is pulling their knees up towards their chest in order to initiate their kick rather than bringing their, their heels up? Um, yeah, I mean, it is both. There's, I really don't have a, a good answer for that except just, hey, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Do it with your heels. The, the thing that, that we'll talk about a lot with breaststroke kick is heel speed, right? So you want, obviously, the kick back motion should be like powerful and you should get a lot out of it. So it should be like, you should be holding water on it, but bring it up should be super fast, right? You don't want this to take a long time because you want to spend the max amount of time with your legs streamlined and then just bam, go into that kick, right? So the heel speed is going to come from your hamstrings. I guess focusing on the hamstrings with that is, is maybe the way that you would teach that. One of my uh, close friends is a great breaststroke coach uh ari silva and, and he was telling me that the first thing he looks at is is hips he wants to make sure that the hips are continually at the surface and moving forward is that something yeah. that you focus on yeah absolutely again in the in the years where where it's super easy and i just have breaststroke flowing my hips are just bam 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 on the surface um if i try to start like forcing the undulation with the chest because there is a little up and down that i'll do with my chest um, if I start forcing that, like with the head too, then my hips start to bob, um, and just everything's, everything's out of whack. So yeah, hips, hips and legs during the pull should be just dragged straight forward on the surface. That's, that's a perfect stroke. Now breaststrokers always talk about their timing and, and sometimes in warm up, they be like, my timing's off. It feels wonky. Is there anything that you do to reset your timing when you feel a little off? Yeah, there are always drills that you can do. Um, Underwater breaststroke swimming, like not pull downs, just actual strokes underwater, I, th I think is really good just for that eliminating resistance. Um, it also just forces you to slow it down a little bit. So you're thinking about that. And then two kick, one pull also. Um, I think that really helps me. And I like the way that Cameron Vanderberg does it, which is he goes kick, pull, kick, glide, instead of just like tacking on an extra kick to the end. Mm. So that first kick gives him momentum into the stroke. He's got to hold that with the pull then finish with that extra kick to glide as long as he can. Hmm. Um, so with that, he's also doing a little bit less of the up and down that you'll normally see like age group kids do when they do two kick one pull. Nice, man. Nice. Were you um, happy with your Olympic result? Like, uh, in, you know, a silver medal is a silver medal. It's incredible. But were you disappointed not to win the gold or were you happy to win the silver? Honestly, no, I was stoked as hell. Um, so the, the reason that U.S. USA Swimming has their Olympic trials so close to the games is because it's so damn hard to make a team, right? So if we had it like back in January, then you get a bunch of people who would make the team and then just start like partying and celebrating and then not swim well at the games. Um, I definitely would have been one of those people <laughs> is what I'm saying here. Like I, my ultimate goal in this sport was just like be an Olympian. So winning trials, I was like, yes, I did it. Like that, that was it. I, I could, I could have quit right there and been happy with the career. So Going to Rio, no, I was just like constantly in awe of my surroundings, just the, the fact that I got to be there and, and be a part of that experience. So I, I told you I was the most nervous I've ever been before that final of trials, but before the Olympics, I was pretty stress-free. I was just appreciating the moment and just doing everything I could to, to get a medal for my team. So, so doing that, yeah, no, that, that was awesome. 
And cool. I guess I would, I would be more pissed off if, if I thought I could have done a better job at the Olympics, but I mean, I really put together the best race I could. I, the, the only thing I changed between trials and the games was at, at trials, I waited until the 75 mark or 75 left. So the 125 mark to really start going, um, at the games, I took two strokes off the 100 wall and I was like, yeah, I'm just like going for it from now on. Um, I thought the, the adrenaline of the, the Olympic final would, would give me that little extra boost so I could carry that for more than a 75. And I, I think I ended up being right. I, I really don't think I could have gone faster in that race. That's awesome. How do you feel about next year possibly swimming without a crowd at the Olympics? It's going to be weird, man. I, <laughs> this is a very weird experience. I mean, I'll, I'll wait to pass judgment until we – until we actually do our first meet, like hopefully ISL can, can go off this fall. But yeah, I'm interested to see, like, do they pump crowd noise? Are there going to be those weird cardboard cutouts? Is it just a silent arena? Mm. Like we were considering this cause we were, we were actually at the Olympic training center um, when everything was getting canceled yeah. and we were considering like, what if they press forward with it? Like we can't change where trials is this late. Like, do we just walk into Omaha without a crowd? That's going to be nuts. Just going to echo in there. So, yeah, I mean, all, all the sports are having to deal with this problem. So, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's going to affect everyone differently, but we're all, we're all going to be in the same boat. So, fans or no fans, I mean, it's still still a 50-meter pool. you yeah. got to get down on the fastest you can. Well, you said that, you know, you could have retired after making the Olympic team, and then you go on to win the silver medal at the last Olympics. So, why, why are you still doing this? What's, what's driving you now? Uh, I haven't gone fast enough. <laughs> Basically, I no, I'm I'm capable of better than my best times. I I know this. So, um, yeah, man, I I want to hit as close to max potential as I can. I I fortunately have the ability to to make a living as an athlete right now, which is awesome. And you know, I'm not going to be able to do this when when I'm 35 or 40 years old. This is this is not an opportunity that that I'm going to have forever. So I want to maximize this. And, and I want to get the best out of myself. That's, that's why I go to practice and train hard every day. So whatever, whatever that ends up being, whatever level of success um, that I can achieve with that, whatever time I can hit, um, you know, I want, to, I want to push it as close to that, that max potential. Like how fast can this body go up and down the pool? Do you think you could potentially break the world record? Like could you swim that fast? Depends on how low the world record gets. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll find out next summer. That's, that's what everyone's pushing towards. Chupkov is about half a second clear of the rest of the world. So, so everyone's thinking of a way to like, either beat him at his own game or just get enough of a lead to, to hang on. Half a second in a 200 breast just seems like timing to me, but it seems like a lot to you, huh? It's a lot. I mean, the last Olympic final was, was very, very close. I think it was maybe 0.7 between first and eighth. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. And again, there, there's so many different strategies within that race. So there, there's a, there's a lot to think about. Um, I text a couple of people that respect you uh, greatly uh, right before this. One of them was, uh, well, actually Nathan Adrian text both of us, uh, myself and Rick DeMont. And then I text them back and I said, okay, okay. listen, I got Josh on the podcast. I mean, nice, send, nice. send me some questions. So Nathan Adrian's question for you is name all the 14,000 foot mountains you've climbed. Oh, okay. Good. Or, uh, or, or above 14,000 feet. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, let's see. We got uh, Pikes Peak in Colorado. I'll just do the Colorado ones first. Uh, Pikes Peak, uh, Mount Elbert, that's the tallest in the Rockies. Uh, Mount Evans, Mount Bierstadt, Torrey's Peak, Gray's Peak. In California, we got Mount Shasta, Mount Whitney, and White Mountain Peak. So what, how'd you get into this? How'd you get into mountain climbing? Uh, me and a couple of buddies have been doing like an outdoor based trip every year since 2015. Um, it started with a road trip with a lot of hiking and camping, like San Francisco to Vancouver, Canada and back. And yeah, we've just, we've gotten into it. It's mountain climbing is a sport that's, that's similar to swimming in a lot of ways. It's, it's fairly technical, but there's just like a lot of willpower and, and just suffering right like swim swim practice especially for for a mid d or d group swimmer you're staring at that black line for two hours that's there's some there's some suffering involved there you're going into your pancake mountain climbing you're you're out there all day you're trying to get up this huge peak you've got you've got boulders you've got head walls you've got glaciers to deal with um it's the it's the same sort of challenge so i really like it are we talking about mountain climbing where you walk up or where you strap in and climb up like what what are you actually doing uh, we mostly solo it, so so we we've, we've never we've never done a peak where you need ropes, um, but yeah, we're we've gotten into some more technical stuff recently. So on Shasta, we um, we had to climb up glaciers, so we needed crampons on our boots, and we needed an ice axe for for like protection if you slip and fall. You got to like jam that thing into the ice to stop yourself. Wow, that sounds dangerous, man. Yeah, it's fun stuff though. <laughs> oh well rick demont's question to you is what makes you happiest in life i knew i'd get a deep one from from coach demont there <laughs> um honestly just uh just being being with the people i love i mean this this sport's awesome because you get to you get to do something you love with the people you love every day i mean that's why i've not left cal it's it's an amazing place um I get to, I get to pursue my goals with my friends who are pursuing their goals every day. So, you know, I, I couldn't be happier in that environment. I love this sport too, man. And I was actually planning on doing a clinic with your wife this weekend, but the, our pools got separated. So she's yeah. at a completely different pool than me. So I've actually never met her, but we, we have great conversations. She, she sounds, <laughs> sounds awesome. Uh, where'd you meet and, and how did, how'd you end up getting married? What, what happened there? Uh, we, we met at Austin Grand Prix 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, her friend asked me to take a pic of her and Ryan Lochte. <laughs> Funny enough, that, that was our first interaction ever. Um, but yeah, we've, we've known each other for almost a decade now. Uh, been together for, for like five plus years. And yeah, we were able to get married last year. It was, it was awesome. That's all. It was a destination wedding. So it looked beautiful. Where was it at? Yeah, it was in Bali. So Tiffany's Indonesian. So it was, it was a little bit easier for her to set up over there than I think it would have been. Um, so she, she was able to take care of the language barrier. And I mean, she did an incredible job setting stuff up. It was an awesome experience. We were very grateful that, that a bunch of our friends and family could, could make the trip out there. Um, we, we had an awesome time. It was beautiful. Is it nice having a wife that's a former swimmer that kind of gets you and, and can understand the ups and downs of what you're going through? Yes, totally. She gets it. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's so much easier that way. It's, uh, yeah, it's a non-conventional uh, career that I'm in right now. So to have someone who understands that uh, is perfect. Now, do you guys split the, the cooking? Who does the cooking in the house? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pretty good at cooking, but <laughs> she is too. Yeah, no, we, we split it. Oh, good, good. What's your, what's your specialty? Uh, my family's Italian. I make a lot of Italian food. Oh. Um, 
she's obviously good at Asian food. So I've, I've learned to, uh, I learned to adapt, you know, nice. got to be diverse in your skill set. Very nice. I love it, man. Well, she's a great woman. You're, you're very lucky. Now, listen, I meant to ask this earlier, but what impact did uh, Nort Thornton have on you and, and, um, and your breaststroke and, or your IM or, or anything at Cal? Oh, Nort's awesome. Um, I mean, Nort's a, Nort's a legend. Nort's a titan in the sport. And, and now with his, with his job at Cal, his, lo- his job is literally just to think about the slowest stroke and ways to make it faster. This is, this is what he's doing all day. This is his only job mm-hmm. at Cal. And this is, this is a man who's been in the sport for, for decades and decades with all that knowledge and experience. So, yeah, to, to have his, his creativity, his mind working with the breaststroke group is awesome. I mean, he'll, he'll throw out some, some crazy sounding ideas and drills and techniques for us to try and play around with. So, so yeah, absolutely. Having him is, is a huge asset, um, not only for, for breaststroke, but just for, just for the environment that he brings to the pool. Um, just like the athletes, the athletes that he coached, the environment that he coached in, he coached some tough guys and he's a tough guy himself. So, so having that impact kind of our, our team vibe, our team mentality is, is awesome. Now, just getting to know you last year with the ISL and traveling the world a little bit with you, uh, you're definitely a student of the sport. Like, what do you, what, where do you put your time when it comes to figuring out how to get better? Um, I mean, I basically built my career on just watching video of people that were better than me and doing that. I mean, I was watching Michael Phelps butterfly videos like every day in high school, trying to figure out how to get my, my opening IM split faster. Um, once you, once you kind of master those basic tenets of, of the strokes, those basic skills, then you can begin to innovate and find out what works for you specifically, your body type, your strengths. Um, so for, for me right now in the sport, like I, I have a couple of strengths that I do really well, right? I can swim breaststroke pretty fast for a sustained amount of time. I can dolphin kick underwater really fast. Um, and I can open turn in and out of the wall very quick. Um, the rest of the stuff I'm working on, I can obviously make those strengths, right? I'm, I'm really working on backstroke. I'm trying to watch Ryan every day as he trains. But, but right now, those three strengths are what I'm working with. So I have to build my race strategies um, and what events I attack off of those, right? Um, so I'm going to swim the 400 IM or the 200 IM a little differently than someone who's, who's really good at back and free or someone who may be, uh, you know, just a, just a pure breaststroker. So, so I've got to, yeah, like you said, study, study the sport, figure out what's going to be best for me and, and go for that. What do you think is in the heads of your opponents when you line up next to them? Like that, what are they thinking about you in terms of your strengths? Like they're, they're looking at you and thinking, I got to, he's going to get me here or this is where I got to get him. Like, what are they thinking about you? You think, who knows, man, I'm not, I'm not exactly like a closed book when it comes to, to race strategy. Right. I mean, I've been doing the same events for quite a while now and I don't really switch up how I do them that much. Um, you know, if I, if I was a guy who raced like short course meters, hundred fly, hundred free, 200 free. And I had to step up against Chad McClough all the time. I'd be like, man, what is this guy going to do this time? Who knows? Like, is he just going to dart out to the lead and have like a second and a half on me at the 50? Is he going to, is he going to save up and just crush the last 50? I have no idea, but I don't know. For me, I feel like you, you typically, you typically are going to know what's, what's going on, right? Maybe a little less than the two breast long course. I mean, sometimes I, I push it on the, on the outspeed, sometimes not, but, um, 
yeah, no, I don't think I'm, I'm really striking fear in the hearts of opponents with uh, making them wonder what's about to happen. Well, you're doing something. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're one of the best in the world and you do a lot of things well. So I'm sure at some point, do you think it's the last 75 that, that you get people the most where it's like, man, Josh is going to take off right there. And, and, and I have either got to be ahead or I got to manage to hold him at bay. Um, I would say Anton probably has a monopoly on that right now, but, um, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe in the U S at least, um, I, as far as tuna breaststroke race strategy, I really don't think I'm, I'm as much of a, a back halfer as maybe I have a reputation for. I mean, my best races, my, my back 350s have been pretty even. I mean, trials, 32-4, 32-5, 32 Olympics, 32-4, 32-2, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then 20, 2018, my good swims, um, I was like two mid, two mid, three low. Right. So that, that's actually a little bit, a bit of a fall off. Um, so if it looks like I'm back half and it's just because the people next to me are falling off slightly more. Yeah. Yeah. That's generally the way it goes. Um, other than just training harder in the pool, what are you doing outside of the pool? What are some of the things, you know, you think you can do between now and the Olympics to, to get better in the pool? Yeah. So a couple, a couple goals outside the pool, um, I, I want to get really good at pull-ups this year. I think upper body strength is a thing that I can definitely improve on. Um, I want to improve vertical jump so I can improve uh, the start and entry. I think that's been a weak point for me over the years. Um, and I want to continue to just get like insanely cardio fit. I mean, that was one of my goals uh, in the mountains. I was just trying to push it as fast as possible at, at high altitudes with less oxygen. So I want to continue to do that. I've been doing a little bit of running and biking outside the pool. Um, to try to maintain that. So with, um, you know, normally if we're going like nine or 10 swim workouts a week, that's, that's enough cardio. I don't need to do that. But with six, I feel comfortable um, pushing, pushing a little bit to increase that cardio. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, listen, uh, it was fun watching you last year. It's going to be exciting in the lead up to, to this year and, and, and next year to see what, what happens. But uh, hopefully the ISL takes off and, and you guys can get out there and race. It'll be, uh, it'll be a good one again. I hope. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a very long time since I've raced. So, yeah, I'm itching to get back out there. Yeah. Well, listen, Josh, I appreciate your time. I know it's, uh, you got to be somewhere soon. So thanks for the masterclass on breaststroke. I'm looking forward to sharing it with everybody. Hey, no worries. Do you, do you want these breaststroke sets? I, I got them written up. I got yes. Thank you. Yeah, I forgot the breaststroke sets. Okay, I give them to me. This. Yes. Give me, your, give me your, bre- your best <laughs> breaststroke sets right here. Yeah, we got a little bit of time left. All right, so I, I wrote down, um, I just wrote down three from the Olympic year. All right, so these are, these are all lead up, like either 2015 fall or uh, 2016 spring long course. So, um, all right, I got 10.50s on a minute, all below 31.7 into a minute rest, then 10 more on 130. I was below 31.1 on all of those, 30 point mid on most. Um, that one was just really good to set up the back half of my 200. Are you holding a particular stroke count? Um, probably about what I would be on the back half of my 200. So I think I was like 16 to, to 19 mm-hmm. on most of those. If I, get, if I get up higher than that, then I mean, I'm really spinning my wheels and not catching. Yep. Um, another one was, um, this was, this was unexpected. Uh, this was in the fall of 2015. We walked into Saturday practice. And Yuri was like, all right, all we got today is three 200s. Warm up, they're on 10 minutes, no tech suit, 
from a push, three 200s all out. Mm. Um, I was 217, 217, 215 wow. for breaststroke. I was really proud of that one. I thought mm. I thought I crushed that. Um, and then the last one I had was, this is more of an effort than, than an actual set, but this was just like a sort of a lighter pace day uh, on a Saturday morning. But at the end of, of sort of this lighter pace day, we all put tech suits on and went a 300 stroke off the blocks. Uh, and I was 320. For, for a 300 breast long course out in 212. That, wow. that honestly might be my best swim of all time. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if 2071 is better than that. To be <laughs> um, so all, all of those, I would say the commonality and like all the other training that we did and, and still do, the, the most effective thing that I like the most is just getting into like the, the aerobic state that you're in in the middle of a 200 yeah. and then doing pace off that. So whether that's doing 150s where you're going like, 100 free build flip into 50 stroke at pace or whether you're just doing repeated 50s uh, faster than pace on a short interval um, whether you're doing like something hypoxic into pace uh, we we love that type of work at Cal where you're getting into that zone where you're tired and then hitting pace because hitting pace fresh like should be pretty easy yeah no, I agree. I, I love that too. I, I do a lot of that myself, actually. Um, put put the body under stress that you want it to be under and then hit the technique and, and the times that you want to hit while you're under that stress because that's exactly how you're going to feel in a race. There's no, there's yeah. no point doing a back-end 50. It's, uh, you know, when you've had three minutes rest, basically, and, and feeling great. So it's like you want to be under stress when you hit that back-end because it's exactly how you're going to feel. So Yeah, exactly. You're not just training the technique and stroke hand. Like it's the technique and stroke hand with that feeling with the stress. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting what you said there. You said, you said a set of fifties, you said a set of two hundreds, and then you said a, a 300, which, which was kind of like a, an under distance and right on distance and then an over distance, you know, they're, and they're all, they're all unique, but they all serve a purpose in terms of right. giving you confidence to be able to race that effective 200. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are tons of other sets I could have mentioned where we're doing hundreds and we're doing one fifties. 75 short course there's there's everything in between yeah um, so yeah there's a there's a lot of different ways to improve and we we kind of do them all we diversify yeah no worries well listen man i appreciate you and thank you for um catching me on that um i've been doing a lot of podcasts so i'm always i'm always trying to figure out um new angles and and today you've given us the class on breaststroke i haven't done that on a podcast before so i appreciate nice. that but uh, but the listeners do love listening to to sets and and what you guys do in the pool and writing those down and and giving them to their athletes. So I'm sure there'll be a couple of people doing some some 200s all out and some 300s all out over the next yeah, few weeks. Yeah, we love to see it. Yeah, I mean you you requested them, so I came with the notes. I I couldn't let that slip. You did well, man. Thank you catching me. Um, all right, man. Listen, take care, and uh, I'll catch up with you soon. All right. All right, cool. Thanks so much, Fred. Thanks, Josh.